Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Later that evening, I sat down and I'm like, oh, that, that article kind of interests me. I'm going to actually read it. Well, when I opened the article, the first thing that caught my attention was, you know how they put like the location of the article somewhere towards the top? It took me five, ten seconds to think about it, why I knew that, that location. But the phone call, the audio recording, it was his voice. And that's when I really got killed. I'm like, yep, that's the guy. You know, that's the guy I talked to because I recognize his voice. It definitely makes you think twice about people you go visit, where you visit. I mean, it definitely makes you think about, you know, other sort of consequences. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Slinkletter, and um, I have recently got back from a big weekend at When We Were Young Fest, two weekends at When We Were Young Fest. My voice is hanging on, so apologies if it, uh, it seems a little scratchy. How do you think I feel? I mean, sound. I think you feel... <laughs> how you expect to feel. Um, I think you sound great. I am also coming off the heels of a cold, so I might be clearing my little nasal cavities more often <laughs> than usual. I have a beverage here, so if you can hear the cling clanging of an ice cube, that's me just clearing my throat. <laughs> so we're all going to just do our best to bring you another good episode of The First Degree under any circumstance. We are trying to make it through. And uh, just a reminder, if you haven't joined our Patreon yet, go join. We have lots of fun bonus content over there, four new episodes a month, if you so please. And for a month... That's a lot. And I know because it's a ton of work and we yeah. are like, how are we doing three episodes a week? Because you people asked for it. So you we're just given, given what you want. But seriously, come on over to Patreon. We have amazing stuff. And um, if you can't get enough, that's where you need to go. Video content coming soon. We tried to kick it off the other week and had lots of uh, malfunctions going on. But it is coming soon. We promise you. And I bought a lot of spooky decor for our studio, which oh we'll gosh. give you a little tour of once it's ready. That'll be fun. Only on Patreon, though. Okay. Right. Do you want to know what date is today? Please tell me. So today is November 2nd. And Alexis? One month from my birthday. This is the day for you. Take a guess of what day it is today. Deviled Egg Day? Yes. No. Yes. You're kidding. It's National Deviled Egg Day. Stop. It's just for you. I wish this was on your birthday. That'd be so good. Well, it's basically one month. Might as well just celebrate it today. I know. I mean, there's also, it's a Cookie Monster Day, Eat Smart Day. We don't care about that. Look for Circles Day. I don't know what that means. But we'll also plan your Epitaph Day. Spooky. Okay. Very weird. Epitaph is such a like old worldy word. I know. That is what, it's what goes in your grave, right? I guess so. Like wife, daughter, loving partner. 
I just love the euphemisms that people use like, oh, a person who kept to himself. It's like, that means you were a hermit. <laughs> that guy was a dick. <laughs> yeah. Light up any room and talk to anyone. Gregarious, like, wouldn't shut the fuck up. Yeah. Or just like boring and don't know how else to describe him. Exactly. Okay. Well, happy National Devil Egg Day to everybody. But I think that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. heinous acts being committed by humans against each other, we're often quick to label the perpetrators, as well as the acts themselves, as evil. We want to psychologically distance ourselves from the monstrous behavior of others, as a way of reassuring ourselves that the only way someone could do such a thing would be if they were somehow an otherworldly entity that we can't at all relate to. In the fields of criminology, sociology, and philosophy, this us-versus-then conceptual framework we use to separate ourselves from those who deviate from accepted social norms is known as othering. But the confronting truth is that othering isn't an accurate, fair, or constructive way to parse something as complex as the motivations and thought processes behind crimes like murder. Any of us have the potential, all of us, given the right circumstances, to be capable of something terrible— Desperation, for example, as opposed to just malevolence, can be a dangerous motivating factor. When people are in over their heads, sometimes they're willing to do anything to avoid facing the consequences of their actions. And for some people, that includes murder. So we begin today's case on July 21st of 2019. New Yorkers were hotter and sweatier than usual when 10,000 residents across Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and the Bronx all lost power during a heat wave with temperatures over 100 degrees. That sounds absolutely horrendous. We were just there some weeks ago. It just it just got down to like 80. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no power. No, thank you. Totally. So as for music, the number one song was Old Town Road by our fave Lil Nas X, our number one, and closely followed by Billie Eilish with her single Bad Guy. I really tried to get Lil Nas X tickets when he was here, and I, it did not oh, happen. I love him so I much. I love him so much. He's the best. So as far as movies, Disney had two films on the top five with The Lion King and Toy Story 4, while comic book fans were turning to watch Spider-Man Far From Home. And the setting for today's story is Bramer, Missouri. Situated in the northwest Missouri in Caldwell County, the tiny town of around only 800 people is located about 65 miles northeast of Kansas City. Bramer and surrounds was home to several First Nations tribes, including the Osage and the Missouri, who had settled in the area from other parts of the United States. Sadly, many tribes who once inhabited Missouri were forced to leave under the Indian Removal Act of 1830 and resettle in Indian Territory, which is present-day Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Kansas. But anyway, the quiet rural town founded in 1887 as a result of the construction of the Chicago, Milwaukee, and St. Paul Railroad through southern Caldwell County is in the heart of the Midwest, amongst prime agricultural land, also known as the Corn Belt. And our first degree for today's case is named Levi. 
Levi works out of a small town in eastern Iowa, and he's employed in the agricultural or ag industry as it's known. And despite the U.S. having one of the largest agricultural industries in the developed world and being the world's largest corn exporter, at a grassroots level, it's actually pretty small. The ag industry is such a small world, you know, in the big broad spectrum. A lot of people know a lot of other people. The ag sector is heavily driven by family-owned businesses, with multiple generations handing down the family farm to their children, and so on and so forth. A lot of them are family-owned. Some people have hired hands or employees, per se. But for the most part, they're just running a family business, a family farm, like you would normally see your typical Iowa farmer, Missouri farmer. There's mom and pop and the kids, you know, or the uncles and the dad, and they're bringing the sons into the operation. Levi's job as a sales rep takes him all across the country, meeting with multiple livestock producers every single week. After college, I got this opportunity to work for this great company as a territory rep, basically traveling a bunch of different states in the Midwest and visiting with farmers, livestock producers. The product that I sell, uh, it's a hardware-software combination. It keeps track of all the financials of like a commercial pizza or a family farm or things like that. One day back in the summer of 2019, Levi was put in touch with a young Missouri cattle farmer, a 25-year-old named Joey Nelson. I met Joey initially from an inbound lead. So an inbound lead would come to me when someone reaches out to our website, has interest in our products, and then they'd have passed over to me and I would take care of it. So Joey's setup was a little bit different to what you might typically expect. So his farm was about 75 acres, but instead of raising and then selling his own cattle, he made a living as more of a caretaker for other livestock producers. He was custom feeding, which in the ag industry, custom feeding is just a term for you're feeding cattle for somebody else. And he was custom feeding cattle for other people, actually quite a few people at the time. And he was looking for a program to manage all that data. Levi often found it difficult to get in touch with farmers, and Joey was no exception. They started playing phone tag, as you do, and they spoke several times. Levi wondered if Joey was really that interested in doing business, given his demeanor on the phone. Because whenever they spoke, Joey seemed kind of distracted, like he had something better to do. He was always sending me the voicemail or, you know, he'd send short replies, text messages, things like that, or he just might not respond. But when he did get him on the phone, it was like didn't have the time of day to talk to you. It's almost like he was too busy, but he answered the phone anyway type of deals. So I've had, oh, maybe five or six phone calls with Joey prior to actually meeting with him. We had conversations and things like that on the phone, text messages, whatnot. That was my first impression. So I always try to keep conversations with him short anyway. Eventually, Levi realized that he was going to be passing through Bramer. So he arranged to meet Joey at his farm face to face to introduce himself. Finally, when we did decide to meet, what actually happened was northern Missouri would be part of my territory, and I was coming back to Iowa from Kansas City, and I was down there for a few days, and then Joey just happened to be one of my first stops on the way back to Iowa. I told him I was going to be in the area, going to drive right by, you might as well stop by, we can talk face-to-face. When the day came, even though Levi had the farm's address, he struggled to find the location of the actual farm. Because, hey, it was literally in the middle of nowhere, but nonetheless, a gorgeous rural setting. I mean, it was what felt like a five-mile-long driveway, but it was a long driveway back to this somewhat beautiful farm. You know, it was kind of pretty put together. Levi was slightly flustered when he got there because he was running a little bit late, and he obviously wanted to make a good impression on a new potential customer. He was curious to see if his initial impression of Joey on the phone was the same face-to-face. But he wondered if Joey was on his way back to the farm, and he was also running late. When I did find it, Joey was nowhere to be found. And then probably 20, 25 minutes later, Joey shows up 
in the same exact impression I had on the phone as what my first impression when I met him. The situation face-to-face was very similar to our phone calls. He kind of acted like I was invisible. I mean, he had to have seen me parked there, standing there. But he was, for, for probably another five minutes, he was grabbing things out of his truck, walking around the property. I mean, just didn't really even acknowledge me at first. So Levi meets new people every day as a part of his job. So he's pretty good at sizing people up and encounters all types of personalities. But Joey was just a little different, to say the least. And Levi didn't know how to interpret this farmer's unusual disposition. And then finally he noticed I was there, walked up to me. We introduced ourselves. And there's a couple things that he said that day, you know, looking back on it in hindsight, that I thought were weird. When I was actually presenting to him the things that I was trying to show him, he was on his phone the whole time, looking at, you know, around at the property, checking things. You know, he just wasn't really giving you his attention. And then at one point in time, he took a phone call and he kept having me repeat things. So at that point, when he took the phone call, he could maybe tell that I was a little frustrated. So I kind of closed things up. You know, I closed my, my notebook and putting things away. And I said, hey, here's the price, you know, things to, to get started if you're actually interested in this. I mean, we could talk about this another time if we have to. Then he was a little bit more attentive. With the ball rolling, Joey and Levi got down to business, and Joey started showing Levi around the farm. But an offhand comment that Joey made really weirded Levi out even more. In the ag industry, we do a lot of tailgate meetings. So we're literally outside on the back of this tailgate, and then the shop where he keeps a bunch of equipment was right behind us. And the piece of equipment I specifically needed to look at to replace some hardware was in the shop. Well, when I walked in there, the piece of equipment was smashed up and and I asked him about it and he said that's why he was running late but earlier that morning his employee rolled that piece of equipment in the ditch as a salesman my first thought was like this is a prime opportunity to replace it with my product you know what I mean and then he made the comment this about his employee he said yeah he said I was so pissed I could have shot the guy Not knowing Joey or a sense of humor, Levi assumed it was one of those things we all say from time to time in a social situation that we later look back on and we cringe in embarrassment, kicking ourselves for being totally inappropriate and missing the mark. But the comment about shooting his employee was off the back of another bizarre remark that Joey initially made, one that Levi found pretty chilling people make quirky jokes and things like that that I just kind of laugh about it and move about your day but when I introduced myself he seemed already busy as is so I kind of cut the small talk short but when I shook his hand I said hey Joey I'm Levi nice to meet you and this is a nice place you have here and he laughed and said not quite heaven but it's better than prison which I kind of thought was a weird comment to say. Levi stayed at the farm a little longer before heading off you know sure Joey had said some really weird things but he might have had a social anxiety problem and just made awkward jokes to kind of fill the noise, right? And the more Levi thought about it, Joey's noncommittal attitude wasn't super uncommon, so he didn't really give it any more thought. Joey obviously wasn't ready to commit to anything for his business, and sometimes that's just how things worked out. He didn't really give you the time of day. He had a hundred other things going on, going a hundred miles an hour. But the overall impression was just kind of odd. You know, when I left that that meeting, I didn't really feel like I accomplished anything with Joey. I didn't feel like I got any farther. I didn't feel like he had any sort of understanding what I was even there for necessarily. I've had conversations or interactions like that with people before. I kind of just let it go as is. I had follow-up calls and texts and things like that with him. Same situation. He's just kind of flaky. Never really got back. Always giving me excuses or pushing things off. About a month after Levi visited Joey's farm, Levi's sister sent him an article about a murder case involving a farmer in Bramer. Bramer, Missouri. 
with this article, there was a audio file embedded. My oldest sister sent me an article on Facebook. And when I opened it, you know, I was busy doing something. Later that evening, I sat down and I'm like, oh, that, that article kind of interests me. I'm going to actually read it. Well, when I opened the article, the first thing that caught my attention was, you know how they put like the location of the article somewhere towards the top? Well, it said Bramer, Missouri. And it took me five, 10 seconds to think about it, why I knew that, that location. And from the picture, I didn't recognize Joey from what I remember him looking like, but the phone call, the audio recording, it was his voice. And that's when I really got chilled. I'm like, yep, that's Joey. That's the guy. You know, that's the guy I talked to because I recognize his voice. As Levi read the article, he got another shock. The murder that the article was referencing, it had occurred just three days after Levi visited Joey's farm. And this would be shocking for anyone. And I know all of you have so many questions, and we're going to answer all of them. So to find out what happened, you know the drill. We got to go back. Our story now moves to Shuwano County in northeast rural Wisconsin. The state of Wisconsin is at the northern end of the Corn Belt that we mentioned earlier. So naturally, agriculture is a major industry there, like it is across other parts of the Midwest. It was also home to two brothers, 34-year-old Nicholas Demel, or Nick as he was known, and his 24-year-old brother, Justin Demel. The brothers were born on September 25th, 1984, and May 9th, 1995, respectively, to their parents, Jack and Pam. They lived in the small community of Navarino, around 27 miles northwest of Green Bay. And from a young age, both Nick and Justin worked with Jack in the family's concrete business, and one day hoped to have some sort of business of their own. Nick married his high school sweetheart, Lisa, and by mid-2019, the couple had four kids, aged between 1 and 17. They'd have a rough few months in their marriage, but had just bought a new home and were looking forward to their summer family vacation. Justin was in a long-term relationship with his girlfriend of seven years named Taylor, and it's believed that he was even planning on proposing soon. Hunting and fishing were the brothers' big passions, which they loved doing with their family. So Nick, Justin, and one of their other brothers, who was named Brandon, they all ran a business together called Demol Livestock. So according to social media, the business was based out of the village of Bondwell. Bondwell. B-O-N-D-U-E-L. I don't want to get... I don't want to get criticized for mispronouncing it. That's a hard one. So Nick and Justin were living their dream with the business specializing in trading and placing beef, dairy, and crossbreed calves and feeder cattle with other farms. So you all, if you don't know about this industry, we're going to learn a lot in this episode because I did in the research. So this is what a great deal of the country does for a living. So it's, it's important to know. Needless to say, these guys had a lot of good stuff going on in their lives and a lot to live for. They were family-oriented and each had lots of friends and were devoted to their beloved dogs. Justin had a dog named Sophie and Nick's dog was Kira. The Demels were well-known in the ag industry and even though Levi had never met them before, he knew of them and he had only heard good things. Like I said, the ag industry is such a small, tight community anyway. So a lot of people know a lot of other people. I, I didn't know them personally. I've never actually met them, but I knew who they were and what they did. They're basically like cattle buyers and sellers. We call it placing. They buy cattle and place them at someone's farm to be fed, whether that be fed for, you know, to weaning age or to finish so they can go get processed. And into a lot of other people that maybe did business with the Demo Brothers. Always good interactions. You know, I never really heard anything negative about the Demo Brothers. You know, I don't live that far from Wisconsin, so they're not too terribly far from me anyway. So they kind of did business in a general area that I was already familiar with. 
So getting back to Joey Nelson, like the D-Mills, his involvement in farming was also a family affair. He was born Garland Joseph Nelson on April 30th, 1994. His mother, Tomei Fiel, actually owned the farm in Bramer under a company called JS4 Enterprises. The farming and trucking business had been run since June of 2018 by Joey, who had oversight of the day-to-day operations. And as we heard from Levi, the Bramer farm functioned as a custom feeder option for cattle owned by other farmers. So in November of 2018, Joey agreed to feed and pasture cattle belonging to the Demol's livestock. So Nick and Justin sent several loads of cattle to Joey in late 2018. So under the terms of this agreement, Joey would feed and take care of these cattle and then sell the cattle and send the brothers the proceeds minus the cost of feeding and pasturing. It seems like a kind of straightforward deal. Like you're giving me these cattle, I will care for them and give them a place to live and then I'll sell them and you'll get the money. And at first, this agreement, this arrangement, it goes really well. Joey's selling some of these cattle and paying Nick and Justin just as they had agreed upon. But at some point, Joey started dropping the ball on all of this that was going on. He raised and sold off more cattle, but the money payable to Nick and Justin just never came through. Joey essentially was ghosting the brothers, leaving them financially high and dry, as well as pretty fucking pissed off. Nick and Justin sent their last load of cattle to Joey in April of 2019, refusing to send any more until they were paid on what they were owed, which makes a lot of sense. Finally, on June 24th, Joey did send the brothers a check, and this check was for $215,938, so a big check. Huge. And I'm sure the brothers were relieved. Okay, they're getting their money. But when this check arrived, the top corner was ripped off. It kind of looked stained, and the check was a mess. The check was a, a total mess. It looked tattered, and it was kind of impossible to deposit. So this check... It's essentially useless because the brothers tried to cash it, but couldn't. So understandably, Nick and Justin were now even more angry. This kind of seemed intentional. It seemed like a stalling tactic. The brothers had spent all this time not only sending cattle to to Joey's farm, but also trying to chase him down for the payment that they were owed. And now Joey had sent a bad check for a massive amount. And these guys, the brothers, were reasonable businessmen. And by this point, they'd had enough of Joey's bullshit evasiveness. So we're going to do something about it. And $215,000 is a lot of money to anybody. I don't care how much money you have. That is a lot of fucking money. It's life-changing money or it's life-ruining money if you owe it to someone, right? Exactly. So I'm sure you're listening. If this happened to you, you'd be furious. Like, you could probably be capable of doing something on a bad day if somebody owed you that much money and didn't pay it, you know, and especially was being an asshole about it. So what exactly was going on in the situation? Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. By mid-2019, 25-year-old Missouri farmer Garland Joey Nelson owed the Demo brothers $215,000 plus. So without telling Joey, these brothers who are pissed... They tell their families, we're going to go over there. We're going to go book some flights. We're going to get a rental car, a Ford F-250, and we're going to go confront Joey at his farm. Because if Joey was too chicken shit to take their calls and respond to their emails, they were going to confront him face-to-face at his own farm, and they were going to recover what they were owed. And they were going to check in on their cattle. I'm sure everything felt suspect at this point. So on the night of July 20th, the brothers stayed at a motel in Cameron, Missouri, and their plan was to drive out to Bramer to Joey's farm the following day. And the brothers' families were expecting them back in Milwaukee at 3.15 on July 21st. But the next day, 3.15 came and went without any of their loved ones hearing anything from Nick or Justin. They all tried calling the brothers' cells, but there was no answer. Nick's wife, Lisa, knew this was entirely unlike Nick, who was always in contact with her whenever he went away on business trips with Justin, where they checked on the cattle or transported cattle to customers. They were always in contact. So deep down at this point, Lisa knew that something was wrong. She had last talked to her husband in person on July 18th before working a long shift the next day. On July 20th, when Nick and Justin left, she slept in. And that night, They texted goodnight and they said, I love you to each other. So the morning of the 21st, which is the same day they were supposed to return, Nick texted her saying that they were leaving their motel to go check on their cattle and, you know, go talk to Joey Nelson. 
And given how furious Nick and Justin were with Joey, could they have gotten into a fight with him at the farm? You know, was it possible the situation could have escalated, ending in these brothers doing something that they instantly regretted and felt like they had to go maybe on the run for? Or is there another part of the plan all along in which Nick and Justin hadn't told anybody about? You know, people have killed for much less, for much less than $215,000. And there was a lot riding on getting this money. It was Nick and Justin's livelihoods, and it was enough to bankrupt pretty much any business. Right. And by this point, their father had called the airline, you know, to see if they'd made it on their return flight home. And it turns out they hadn't. And as the hours passed with no word from either of the brothers, at 8.30 p.m. on the 21st, the day they were supposed to return, their family members reported them missing. The next day on July 22nd, Caldwell County Sheriff's Office discovered the brothers' rental vehicle, which was a Ford F-250 pickup parked in a commuter lot in Holt, Missouri at Highway PP and I-35. And the keys were still in the ignition. That's never good. No, that is never a good sign. So when officers looked at the GPS information on the vehicle's built-in navigation system, it showed several trips in the previous 36 hours. On July 21st, the pickup left the Comfort Inn in Cameron, Missouri at 8.49 a.m. where Nick and Justin had stayed the night before. At 9.26 a.m., the pickup arrived at Joey's farm, and just two hours later at 11.44 a.m., it left. At 12.45 p.m., the truck pulled into a commuter lot in Holt, which is where it was discovered again with the keys still in the ignition. And that timeline is odd. You know, why would the brothers abandon their truck in this parking lot? They obviously went to Joey's farm, and then they abandoned their truck in this parking lot. It's odd. Sketchy. So naturally, the police needed to find these brothers fast. They wanted to ensure that everyone was safe and okay, and also that something terrible hadn't happened to Joey, perhaps resulting in Nick and Justin disappearing or or whatever, just making sure all was kosher because things were looking a little odd. So it was kind of a curious twist when Joey, who was the one who owed the money, and it was theoretically most at risk, was found alive and well. So police, they're relieved that at least one of the parties was fine and there was someone they could talk to. So they questioned Joey and they wanted to know, you know, you saw them last. What can you tell us? What can you tell us about where they were going or where they'd been? Everyone was hoping that the Demo brothers hadn't met with foul play after they left Joey's farm. The truck being abandoned is odd, and with the wide open fields and farmland surrounding this area, it was chilling because they could quite literally be anywhere and could have encountered anyone. So there's a lot of questions at this point. Right. And based on the GPS information in the pickup, police checked security camera footage of every business in town that the vehicle could have traveled through. At around 2.18 p.m., the pickup was recorded on a general store security camera traveling through the town of Polo, heading south on Highway 13 to a four-way stop sign where another security camera showed only one person in the front of the vehicle, which is interesting. Very. A minute later, the pickup was again seen on a security camera in Polo traveling west on Highway 116, and again, there was only one person sitting in the front. Then, two days after the brothers were supposed to fly home, Joey told investigators you know, he admitted, yes, actually, I was the one who drove this rental pickup, this Ford from my farm to the parking lot where it was found. He admitted he had left it running. Yes, he had left the keys in the ignition. He had left the cars, the truck's lights on. He also said that he had taken the brother's cell phones out of the pickup and thrown them on the road. He arranged for someone to pick him up and take him back to his farm. So this was an odd 
sequence of admissions and utterances. What is going on? Why would he do this with this truck? Why would he throw the phones out? The police by this point are suspicious that something really bad is possibly going on. So to hold Joey and to kind of get tabs on him, they charge him with something minor. They charge him with tampering with a vehicle, given he didn't have the permission from the rental company to drive this truck. So it's it's something inconsequential, kind of, that they're like, we want to keep you here because we think something messed up is happening, right? But they couldn't charge him with anything else at this point because, fr- frankly, there's no proof that any other foul play has occurred at all. Either way, Joey was held without bond. And the time continued to pass without the brothers making contact. So, right, the concern is escalating. And given the odd way Joey abandoned this rental truck and disposed of their phones, police are suspecting more and more that he might have done something to them. So it's unclear exactly what prompted it, but they were able to get a search warrant for Joey's Bramer Farm. Ten days after Nick and Justin were last seen, the police search of the farm yielded incriminating evidence for Joey. So investigators found a fired 30 caliber cartridge in the pocket of clothing that Joey wore on the 21st, a 30 caliber ammunition in his vehicle, a shovel, and two crushed metal barrels near the farm's manure pile. And there was one more grisly and damning discovery. Concealed in the farm's manure pile were burnt human remains. So dental records were going to be required to identify these remains. And the sheriff's office at this point, reclassifies the Demo brothers' disappearance as a death investigation. So they have reason to believe, even though these I- remains aren't identified, that these are possibly these two brothers. So by this stage, Nick's wife, Lisa, had petitioned a Wisconsin court to name her a special administrator of Nick and Justin's estates. And uh, things were in motion, which makes us believe everybody believed that possibly the brothers were dead at this point, which is really sad. And I'm sure everyone was dealing with, you know, Lisa's got four kids with Nick. Like, this is traumatizing. This is upsetting. And everyone's, you know, lives are in chaos and misery because of what's happening. And naturally, people also wanted to know what Joey's mom knew because she was the one that owned the farm. So Tomei Fiel told the Kansas City Star that she had no idea why Joey would have driven the brothers' pickup out to Holt. And the first she knew of anything was when she returned home from a trip on July 21st to find investigators talking to Joey. So she was just like allegedly completely out of the loop. Totally. And Tomei hoped nothing bad had happened, describing her son as somebody with a strong work ethic and who was really family focused. But as the days passed, she found it more and more difficult to go about her business with a shadow of suspicion looming over her just by association of her son. So... Tomei was harassed and threatened to such an extent that she couldn't leave her house and she ultimately would delete all of her social media accounts. And apparently while the search warrants were being executed at the farm, she was housebound. She wouldn't even come outside. So these investigators who were investigating were nice enough to help her with feeding the livestock, you know, because Joey was being held without bail and she had no way to feed these poor cows. Oh my God. You know, small town vibes. The cops decided to step in and help, which I think is nice. And police continued to zero in on Joey, but according to court documents, he was entirely unperturbed with little to say in response to the mountain of evidence that was piling up against him as the weeks passed. Or when he did, it was of little value and simply wasted investigators' time. And he kept changing his story. He was also playing dumb or denying the evidence. And we don't know what the nature was of these misleading accounts and explanations were, 
Suffice to say, it was as plain on the nose of Joey's face that he was definitely hiding something and that something was probably really serious. So perhaps the reason why Joey seemed so unaffected was possibly because he was no stranger to being in trouble with the law. So as it turns out, in October of 2016, Joey was convicted and did 17 months in federal prison for fraud before being released on parole. And here's Levi again to take us back and explain what happened exactly. In general, for a, a cow or a calf to be completed through the life cycle when it gets processed, it takes some time. A calf is on feed, what we call, you know, getting fed daily for over a year. In some cases, depending on how big or how, you know, when you want to sell them. So they might own cattle for, for quite a few months. And in that span, you know, cattle are coming and going off the farm. He got into a situation where he owed people money. I guess his explanation was people owed him money, and then he owed people money. He was kind of caught in between. And then he was actually selling cattle outside of his FSA loan, basically a contract that he signed, and he got caught. And at a federal level, you know, that's a federal crime. Okay, so what the fuck was going on? What was Joey playing at exactly? We know he worked as a custom feeder for multiple farmers at once. So back in 2018, well before Nick and Justin's visit, Joey was in business with a farmer from Kansas named David, and Joey was responsible for 131 of David's calves. But when Joey failed to pay David as per their agreement, and this is sounding very similar to the one that Joey had with Nick and Justin, David started getting frustrated, rightfully so. And Joey always had some elaborate excuse as why he couldn't pay and even told David that he was considering taking his own life over the debt that he had incurred. Right. And David demanded the rest of his cattle back because he's getting sketched out. And these cattle are important to these farmers. It's their livelihood. So when Joey's like, sure, I'll return your cattle. And he did so in May of 2019. But when the cattle were returned, David was shocked. And this is sad and disgusting So only 35 of the 131 calves that David owned were alive and the ones that were returned. This is going to be really disturbing for people who love animals. Some were so weak that they couldn't walk. Others had ringworm and some had their ears torn like someone had ripped out their identifying ear tags. So David is horrified, right? These cows are important. Like beyond being something that their livelihoods attached to, these farmers care about these animals. And I know that's hard for people to understand, but Levi explained it to me. It's like they care deeply about their health and their wellness and their livelihoods, frankly. You know, at least in the circles Levi ran in, it was an important issue. So David gets these calves in this condition. So he starts asking people around, like, what do you know about this Joey Garland guy? And he learns at this point that Joey was known for being an unscrupulous liar and just generally shady as hell. So someone else David spoke to about Joey, and this is where it comes full circle. They spoke to Nick Demol of the missing Demol brothers. And in one horrific case of mistreatment, Joey dropped hay bales off in the pasture for the Demol's calves to eat, but he didn't remove the plastic covering. And as the calves couldn't get to the hay underneath, they ate the plastic, which led to their deaths. And there really are no words to describe somebody who just does this to animals. It's inhumane. It's disgusting. And we both would argue that this deserves some kind of prison sentence all on its own. It's horrible. Absolutely. And, you know, as a person who eats meat but is dating a vegan, 
I see the issues with this, but for me, what really bothers me is that this is fucking lazy. Like if you're going to buy the hay and you're going to throw it into a pasture with calves to eat. Yeah. You're spending the money, you're buying the food, you're doing the effort. Like, why would you just not fucking unwrap it? It's just the point. (laughs) It's just senseless and infuriating and weird and and like a waste of money. And also Joey's digging himself in a hole. Like, why wouldn't you just take the extra step to care for these calves a little better so you're not fucked with your business? It's just so bizarro, right? So in the summer of 2019, Nick told David all about this. And about how he, you know, was dealing with struggles with Joey on his own and how he's owed $215,000 and it was sent a bad check. So Nick also told David that Joey was stalling on purpose and shared with him that he was going to confront him in person. Meanwhile, David finds out that Joey had already been in prison on fraud charges connected to this buying and selling of cattle in this business. And that's not something anybody knew. So David obviously cuts ties with Joey. But Levi, back to him, our very special, very important first degree, he didn't actually notice anything as being amiss when he visited the farm himself. But, you know, he later heard from people who knew Joey that he was, in fact, mistreating the animals. But it's easy to miss that, you know, when you're out in the open and the cows are far away in a pasture. You've all, we've all driven through cow country, right? Mm-hmm. They're far, you don't see the house or the farm. The cows are like wandering for miles away. So it's easy to miss, like, these cows don't look right, you know? Right. He said that he had cattle on the farm and obviously I saw cattle. I can't say that the cattle that I saw looked any different than the normal cattle that I would look at on a day-to-day basis. He owned those cattle for quite a quite a long time. And when it came time those cattle were due, he wasn't showing up with any cattle and he always had excuses, you know, where they were, what happened and why he's not showing up with any cattle. If someone were to own cattle on someone else's farm property, I mean, it's not uncommon for that person to go check on cattle, but it's also not expected or, you know, sometimes distance is an issue or things like that. They anticipate the ag industry, they're going to take care of their livestock form. They don't have a reason to fear anything's going to go wrong with the cattle. And in this case, they couldn't have been farther from the truth until he was neglecting their animals. It's not like you have 15 neighbors around you that can see everything you're doing. You know, you're kind of secluded. There might be cattle there that people don't see unless they go to, onto your property. And there might be cattle there that you might not even see from sitting at the, the front door of the house that you'd have to drive out to the pasture and look for. So essentially, Joey pastured some of Nick and Justin's cattle for quite a long time. But he also sold, traded, and killed their other cattle without paying up as agreed. And on top of that, he kept invoicing the brothers for yardage for cattle that he no longer had. And despite the Demos paying yardage for existing cattle, Joey wasn't even feeding them or caring for them properly at all. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
When the Demo brothers disappeared in July of 2019, after visiting Joey's farm, Joey was actually still on federal probation for the last, you know, cattle fraud he was involved in. So by this point, the police obviously suspected that the brothers may be dead, may have been murdered at the hands of Joey. The motive? Clear cut. The outstanding debt. Believing possibly the brothers confronted him and Joey gives him the runaround, an altercation ensues, and that leads to even more violence. And investigators kept the pressure on Joey, asking him for more details about the circumstances around the visit to the farm. While human remains had been found, and it's still not been confirmed whether they belonged to Nick or Justin or anybody else for that matter, but the net was closing in. By October of 2019, forensic analysis of Joey's clothing ultimately showed that a blood stain on the clothes he wore on July 21st matched Nick's DNA. A neighbor of Joey's also told police that between 11.15 and 11.30 in the morning, on the day the brothers visited, the neighbor heard multiple gunshots coming from the farm. And by Joey's own admission, he'd still been at the farm that time, so this is not looking good. Joey also confirmed that he owned the 30 caliber rifle and other firearms, saying that he kept them in a safe at his farm. So because he's still on probation and not permitted to own a gun, the firearms were obviously confiscated and I'm sure he was charged with additional things. And despite Joey previously admitting to driving the pickup that was rented by the Demo brothers, he pleaded not guilty to tampering with this vehicle, which is interesting. But then, a few weeks later, Joey decided to waive his Miranda rights and told the police his quote-unquote full version of what went down at the farm the day that the Demo brothers disappeared. The day Nick and Justin arrived at the farm in the pickup, they got there at around 9.30 a.m. and called Joey. Just over two hours later, at around 11.44 a.m., Joey drove the pickup from the farm to the parking lot, which he told police two days into the investigation. Joey took the brothers' cell phones out of the pickup and threw them away along the roadway, and he got a ride back to his farm. He admits to taking the vehicle, but he claims when he got back home that he found two dead bodies, and then he panicked and tried to dispose of them. So then Joey admitted to, this is super interesting, the way he phrases this. He says that when he returned to the farm, he saw the brothers' bodies at the farm, deceased. And he believed these bodies to belong to Nick and Justin. And he explained he saw the brothers each inside of these 55-gallon metal barrels that were inside of one of his barns. But he completely denied understanding how they got there, how, how they were put in the barrel, how they had died. You know, they just appeared on his farm. And he said that the barrels had been moved several times. And somehow the contents of the barrels ended up getting burnt using an accelerant with diesel fuel being poured over them before being ignited. But again, denies knowing how this happened. It's a pretty disjointed account of the day. Very bizarre. Very. So Joey told investigators that after the bodies were burnt, one or both of them were placed in the manure pile, and Joey then used the skid loader to crush the barrels. He then went back to the barn, where he used a shovel to remove what he thought was blood from the floor, where it was believed that the brothers were killed. And we don't know what the quantity of blood that we're talking about here, but if you're using a shovel to clean it up, that's a lot of blood. He doesn't claim that he shot the brothers, but he claims that he found two dead bodies and he admits to trying to burn the remains and then he buried them in a manure pile of all things. 
So obviously, the pseudo-confession by Joey conveniently left out information about how or why these brothers had died or been killed. Clearly, he was trying to control the narrative and shift blame elsewhere. But this looked really bad for him, and the walls are clearly closing in on this guy. Joey was charged with two counts, each of first-degree murder, abandonment of a corpse, tampering with evidence, and one count of unlawful possession of a firearm— And this was all in addition to the initial charge of tampering with a motor vehicle. And it was clear he'd knowingly removed evidence from the property and concealed evidence of the crime. So just over three weeks later, a rancher in Hershey, Nebraska, were going to another location. They were inspecting a livestock trailer that he'd taken delivery of after buying it from Missouri. So I don't know the details of this, so don't ask. But he he ended up acquiring this trailer. He bought it somewhere. Inside this trailer the rancher found something weird. It was a heavy plastic tub that appeared to contain dirt. So the rancher upended the tub and spreads the dirt around on his driveway. Seems like a, you know, you need dirt, you put it somewhere. To his horror, along with this dirt and soil appeared to be what looked like human remains. And with them, he saw something distinct. It was a debit card that had not been destroyed or, you know, it was, it was, uh, he could read the name on it and it belonged to Justin Demol. So that's chilling. It's awful. Um, and the writing is on the wall here, you know, um, it's really sad. So the rancher called the local sheriff's department who came out and contacted the sheriff back in Caldwell County, Missouri, which is where Bramer is. And according to Levi, the subsequent gruesome discovery seemed to be all but the nail in Joey's coffin. It was loaded into like a mineral tub, which is just a big, you know, plastic tub. And uh, it was put into a trailer that was sold to a producer, another cattle producer in Nebraska. And when he got the trailer, he was cleaning it out and he found this mineral tub basically full of dirt. And when he dumped the dirt out, I believe he found a wedding ring and parts of human remains, and that's what made them tie the, the murder back to, to the Demo brothers at Joey's place. So how did these remains end up in Nebraska? Well, it's not exactly clear from the reports, but if we're going to make an educated guess based on the information that is given, it would make sense if the rancher bought the trailer from Joey Nelson. The only other possibility is if Joey put the tub on someone else's trailer, which he knew was being sent out of state and away from the crime scene. He doesn't strike me as the criminal mastermind that would come up with that. So Too complex. Yeah, exactly. So a week later, Nick and Justin's loved ones receive the news they've been, you know, dreading. When authorities confirmed the remains belonged to the Demo brothers, Nick's body had been left at the farm while some of Justin's remains were the ones found in Nebraska. So this is a big deal. You know, Joey's already been charged. And if he's convicted, he's facing the death penalty due to these aggravating factors. Not only was it two counts of first-degree murder, but Joey had killed Nick and Justin for financial gain to avoid paying a debt, right? And that is considered an aggravating factor. Nick and Justin's families ultimately filed a lawsuit against Joey, his mom, and their company for the wrongful death of the brothers. The lawsuit claimed that Joey violated his parole for his previous federal conviction by owning a firearm and entering into business with the brothers. In addition, neither Joey nor Tomei informed the brothers about the nature of Joey's conviction before they went into business. So five months later, the families of the Demo brothers would be awarded a $2 million settlement because obviously it ruled in their favor. But they still had a criminal trial that was 
coming down the pipeline. And they were dreading that. This this is not something that um, they wanted to do. Having the details of their loved one's murders being rehashed, and it wasn't something they were looking forward to. It wasn't until late 2020 that the Demos were able to hold a memorial service for Nick and Justin. It had taken this long to have the remains returned to the family, and both brothers were farewelled in emotional services held at the Navarino Baseball Diamond. But there was still a long road ahead when it came to holding Joey accountable for the pain and anguish that he had caused the family. And by this point, since the brothers had been murdered, their families had traveled to Missouri. Remember, they live in Wisconsin several times, more than six. But the case kept getting pushed given the global pandemic, right? And it didn't look like anything was going to happen to this trial. It looked like it was going to happen because Joey was still denying that he did anything wrong. In the spring of 2021, Joey was indicted on a federal mail fraud charge over the bad check that he had sent the Demo brothers before they died. The checking account from which Joey had written the check only had a balance of 21 cents with no deposits at all in the months prior. The check itself had been intentionally torn and damaged so it couldn't be deposited. Joey also sent Nick and Justin damaged truck scale certificates showing the cattle's weight. And the indictment alleged that the Demo's cattle in Joey's care, quote, had high death rates due to underfeeding, neglect, and or maltreatment which, as we've discussed, is really heartbreaking for these poor cattle. Eventually, there would be a big development in this case when Joey shocked everyone by pleading guilty to murdering Nick and Justin. But he didn't do this for selfless reasons, right? In return, the charges of abandonment of a corpse and tampering with evidence, those would be dropped. And he admitted he had to do an allocution. He admitted to what he had done. He admitted to the entire thing, to killing them, to putting their bodies in barrels, and then dumping the remains in the manure pile and hiding them elsewhere on his farm. Some of the remains were dumped in the plastic tub, which was placed on the livestock trailer and sent to Nebraska after the trailer was purchased by the rancher. And unbelievably, when Joey confirmed the sickening circumstances of the murders in court in the presence of the brothers' families, it was the first time some of them had learned exactly what had happened and their mother was so distraught that she had to leave the courtroom. Joey waived the right to a sentencing assessment and received two consecutive life sentences without parole. So what do we think of Joey Nelson? What the hell led him to this, to be this person? And why did these despicable, heinous acts occur? We asked Levi what he thought. I do not think Joey Nelson was an evil person. You know, I don't think he was a mean-natured guy. I definitely think that he just got way in over his head. From my perspective, he's probably sending out feed bills, getting money in. But as soon as he had that money, he probably had other places to go. You know, he, he probably had to pay off some of these other people that he owed money to. He was so far underwater that any money did come in. It probably already went out right away. Some people question why he drove the truck in a town and left it running. Some people think that he was asking for attention at that point when you drive a, a rental vehicle in town and, and, of all things, leave it running. Not even shut it off or lock the doors or take the or nothing, just leaves it running and walks away. I think he knew what he was doing was wrong. Same as like the cattle fraud. I think he knew what he was doing was wrong as far as taking money that wasn't his and paying people that needed money that writing bad checks. I think he was aware of that. I don't think he was oblivious to what he was doing. He didn't think he was in the wrong, but I don't think he was a sociopath. I don't think he was an evil person. I think he just got caught and it ended up in a bad situation. So during my conversation with Levi, he reflected on what encountering someone like Joey means in the context of being on the road all the time for his job and the people he's always encountering. 
I didn't feel like I was in any sort of danger or anything by any means, but it definitely makes you think twice about people you go visit, where you visit. I mean, it definitely makes you think about, you know, other sort of consequences, you know, and people that you run into, because you never know what someone else is going through and let's say their personal life or business and things like that. It doesn't make me any he- more hesitant to, to drive on farm, you know, today. I don't think twice about pulling into someone's yard because almost 10 times out of 10, it's going to be someone that has a good interaction and a normal conversation conversation with but it's just interesting to think that the things that were going through his mind on a day-to-day basis on that one day you know on that one visit that pushed him over the edge despite joey's cruel and disgusting treatment of the cattle in his care levi reassured us that this is 100 percent the exception and not the rule within the ag industry livestock producers are overwhelmingly the kinds of people who care deeply about the animals in their charge and do everything that they can to ensure that they're healthy and happy in the ag industry itself, nobody looks at an animal, whether it's a, you know cows, pigs, chickens, whatever it is. Nobody looks at them as like a commodity. They they look at them as as an animal, you know, as a living thing. In the Midwest, or people that raise livestock in general, they would put their own lives on the line to save the animals that they raise. They care for the animals just as well as they care for probably their kids. I mean, they care a lot. It's not just a a commodity to them. It's a way of living, and, and they want to make sure that they give the animals their best care that they can have. So part of what's tragic about the story is that for whatever reason, Joey thought there was only one way out of the giant mess that he had made. And again, this is all his fault. He clearly wasn't smart enough to think through the consequences of his choices and not only defrauding people, but also the violence he would ultimately commit. When these things continued to escalate in a way he hadn't anticipated, he made life-changing and barbaric decisions. Maybe out of desperation, maybe he's selfish, maybe he's a sociopath. It doesn't matter. Not, you know, caring for the cattle he was entrusted with and murdering when he was put in a corner about it. There's no fucking excuse for this kind of behavior. But despite the sickening lengths he went to to conceal his enterprise, his criminal enterprise, in the aftermath, we can't just apply black and white thinking and analyzing how he got to that desperate mindset, right? Because the reality is, with very few exceptions, you can't just compartmentalize people and put them in a neat little box. A whole range of factors um, influence our decision-making, especially when we're in high-stress, unanticipated situations. But at the end of the day, there's never an excuse for such horrible behavior by the way in which someone formulates a rationale for justifying such things like murder, Right, But it does involve much more nuance than dumbing it down to the dichotomy of good versus evil. Well, huge thank you to Levi for being our first degree for this episode. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. Please join our Patreon. We have so much fun bonus content for you every single week and come back tomorrow because we have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. We're not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Gemma Harris. Sources for this episode are court documents, the Wisconsin Law Journal, the U.S. Department of Justice, KMBC News, 
WBAY News, Drovers.com, Fox 4, The Washington Post, KMZU Radio, WEAU 13 News, Fox 11 News, WSAW, PorkBusiness.com, hmm, KSHB41, The Green Bay Press Gazette, People Magazine, Fox 6 Milwaukee, ABC News, OzarkFirst.com, Insider.com, and NBC News. Never say we don't cite our sources. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source.